This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess a podcast where each week I discuss practical, simple, and scientifically backed ways to help you take back control of your mental health and help others and ultimately live your happiest life. In this episode, I am interviewing Nia Eyal. Nia Eyal is a best-selling author, lecturer, and investor. He's best known for his book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. And his most recent book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. His writing on technology, psychology, and business appears in the Harvard Business Review, The Atlantic, TechCrunch, and Psychology Today. In today's episode, I interview Nia on how technology has been designed to be addictive, how to break the addiction and become indistractable using his four-step method how to teach our children to be indistractable and better manage technology and why we need to stop blaming technology for all our mental health problems. Just before we start, I want to thank everyone again who has left a review, subscribed to this podcast and shared it on social media and with friends and family. Not only does your feedback help me improve each episode, but I also love seeing what you guys are learning and what key takeaways you have. It's so encouraging and exciting. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review. The cost of this podcast is your sharing and subscribing. One more note before we begin. This interview was recorded remotely, so the audio quality may be a little scratchy in some areas. Now, back to today's episode. Another note before we begin. Many of you may be familiar with my 21-day brain detox program. Well, I am so excited to tell you about the new and improved version of this program, which is now available in my app, Switch. In this app, I guide you through the five steps that you do over 21 days. In this program, you will identify the root cause of whatever is causing that anxiety or depression or toxic thinking in your life and how to eliminate the root cause and how to build a healthy new neural network and thinking habit. This app recently went through clinical trials and the results have been astounding and the science behind this program is backed by over 30 years of research. I'm also so excited because I'll be adding more and more specialized programs to this app and more amazing features like support groups and coaching. To download the app and start your brain detoxing journey, visit theswitch.app. You can also find the app in the iTunes App Store and Google Play. Just look for Switch on Your Brain. The link and details will also be in the show notes. Nia, I'm so thrilled that you have joined me on this podcast today. Your work is so important and you bring a whole new angle to technology that I absolutely love and support. I think it's brilliant. So before we dive into the questions, can you share just a little bit more about yourself and that stuff that's on in your bio maybe and where you got to where you are today and why you do what you do and so on? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm what you call a behavioral designer. So I typically work with companies to make products that build healthy habits in users' lives. This is based on the work I did at Stanford and then the book I wrote, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. So I work with companies in the fitness space, in the medical device space, media companies, education companies, anyone who's building a healthy habit in a user's life. More recently, my research has focused on the flip side of building good habits. The other side of the coin is how do we break bad habits? 
habits. And so that's where my second book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life, that's where that line of research comes from, is all about how do we make sure that we can do what we say we can do, live with personal integrity, and break some of these bad habits in our lives when it comes to distraction. I love that. You've got one that shows you how to make good habits, good habit-forming products, and the other one how to make sure that you can break bad habits. Fantastic. Exactly. <laughs> Both these links will be on our show notes, so people are going to highly recommend these books. They, they really are fantastic. Well, I tell you, I'd love to you to dive in and t- tell us more about how technology is often designed to be addictive and how we can avoid becoming addicted to our phones and social media. But even more so, as we were discussing just before I started recording, we were talking about the fact that technology has been really bad mouth in a way and it's not it's not the technology that's the the bad thing it's actually how we as humans are managing the technology can you talk around that Sure. Yeah. You know, the term addiction is probably a good place to start because I think a lot of people use this term in a way that for someone who's a clinician, it ruffles some feathers. Mm, I'm sure that, you know, an addiction is a pathology. And yet we use this term colloquially as if it, everything is addictive these days. Everything apparently is, is addicting Mm. us. And, and that's, it's so unhelpful for a couple of reasons. One, it's offensive to people who actually are suffering from the pathology of addiction. People don't realize that, you know, we don't, we don't talk about any other pathology this way. We don't talk about cancer this way. We don't talk about Alzheimer's this way. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow if you like something a bit, that's, you know, instantly that thing is addictive and and it's just not accurate in in any way. In in many ways, it actually makes things worse because it leads to learned helplessness. It teaches Mm. people that you're powerless. You you know, we have articles pumped out by big media every day that's with titles like your life is remotely controlled and Mm. technology is hijacking your brain and it's addicting everyone. Mm. And this is just not true. It, It does addict some people, clearly lots of things that we use are highly addictive, but don't addict everyone. You know, the fact of the matter is any analgesic is potentially addictive if it's Mm -hmm. used by a sufficiently large number of people. People get addicted to Tylenol. People get addicted to Mm -hmm. sniffing glue. People get addicted to all sorts of things, even alcohol. I mean, alcohol is a highly addictive substance. And yet clearly not everyone who has a glass of wine with dinner is an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So instead of focusing on the people who do have this pathology of addiction, we throw around this term to vilify technology when really what we mean is not that we're addicted, it's that we are distracted. Mm. Uh, But of course, when we call it what it really is, a distraction, well, that's no fun because, you know, an addiction has a dealer, it has someone I can can blame, it has a pusher. But when I call it what it really is, a distraction, now that means I have to do something about it. And of course, people don't like the fact that there's a personal responsibility angle to all this as well. So there's clearly no doubt that companies are trying to hack your attention. That's what their business models require. Mm-hmm. But let's let's not fool ourselves. The New York Times is in the exact same business as Facebook. We, you know, they want you clicking on their articles as much as Facebook wants you scrolling the newsfeed. Exactly. They all monetize through your attention. They sell your eyeballs to advertisers. Mm-hmm. And so none of them have your best interests at heart. And frankly, there's nothing wrong with any of those devices or diversions as long as you use them with intent rather than allowing these products to use you because they all want your time and they'll tell you whatever they need to tell you in order to keep you clicking and checking your phone. So the idea here is to know how to use these technology tools in a way that doesn't vilify them, but in a a way that allows us to get the best out of technology without letting it get the best of us. Oh, I love that. You summarized that so well. And the big key takeaway that I get from that there is the personal responsibility and intent. So we have to decide, you know, where, how are we going to use this? How are we going to manage our minds? How we intend to use this technology and not blame the technology that's catching us as it's like some external force. Right. That's exactly right. And and I think there's so much good that can be done with these tools. Mm-hmm. The problem is, you know, we, we tend to vilify, we tend to enter into moral panics. And this is what humans have always done. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, technology is not the source of distraction. Plato talked about this problem of distraction 2,500 years ago, 2,500 years Love before that. the iPhone. Plato was complaining about how distracting the world was. This is part of the human condition. We have uh, certain predilections like boredom, hedonic adaptation, Adaptation, negativity bias, all of these things give us a predilection towards seeking relief from discomfort. And in fact, I would argue that that part of where self-help in a way has done us a disservice is that many people in the self-help genre proclaim that happiness should be the ultimate goal, that if you're not happy all the time, something's wrong with you. If you're not contented, then something's broken. And I think that really is a disservice because 
if you think about it from an evolutionary basis, our species evolved to be perpetually perturbed. That is our gift. That is an mm. evolutionary beneficial adaptation. It's what, you know, the, the fact that we have this disquietude, the fact that we always want more, the fact that we're never satisfied is what kept us hunting mm. and inventing and creating. It's what helped us go to the moon. It's what helps us create life-saving inventions. That's a good instinct to have if we know how to use it the right way, if we can use that discomfort to lead us towards traction rather than distraction. I love that. You're preaching to the choir. As soon as we're mm -hmm. complacent, we won't change, we won't grow. And I agree with you about the self-help industry. I talk about this so much. It's just, it's it's really, it's problematic. The mm -hmm. whole happiness industry, that is something that you can get extrinsically and bring inside of you and that you've always right. got to be happy. No one's always happy. That's crazy right, to think right. that. It's, you know, I teach all the time that it's okay to be depressed and anxious. These aren't diseases. These are actually human condition things, you right. know, and it's, we go up and down. So I love what you just said there. Absolutely. Now we can form unhealthy habits around that discomfort. So if mm -hmm. when we feel anxious, our habit is to reach for our device so we can check the news. I mean, this is something I see quite a bit these days that you know, by reading the news, people say, oh, that's a good thing, right? I'm, I'm a concerned mm -hmm. citizen. I'm taking part. Really what we're doing, if we're honest with ourselves, we're thinking about somebody else's problems somewhere halfway across the world, somebody we can do nothing for. The reason we like doing that is because that allows us to not think about our own problems. I love that. That is brilliant. That's what's going on. Let's be honest with ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how much of the news you think that, you know, as, as wonderful as, as the New York Times and the Wall Street mm -hmm. Journal and the Guardian, they, they are ma maximizing your time on site. They want you mm -hmm. to spend as much time as possible reading the news or watching it on television. And they're not giving you what you need. They're giving you what they think you will respond to, just as the same way that Facebook does and Instagram and all these other tools do. And so it's really up to us to ask ourselves, why am I reaching for this? Have I formed an unhealthy association with this internal trigger of loneliness, fear, stress, uncertainty? Do I have an unhealthy pattern where I reach for a device as opposed to asking myself, what is the source? What is the root cause of my urge to check this distraction? Brilliant. That's so vital what you just said. What is the root cause? Why are you doing that? And then mm -hmm. why why have you formed the habit around that? Because if you do it often enough, if you keep reaching for the news every time you don't want to deal with your stuff. It becomes a pacifier. It becomes, you know, like a little binky or a pacifier, yeah. pacifier that a baby turns to as the only way to, to seek comfort. And, and, and it turns out if we can harness that discomfort, if we can harness stress, anxiety, uncertainty, we can actually utilize those negative sensations to prod us to take action to improve things in our life. Unless we are stuck in this vicious cycle, this habit of constantly pacifying these emotions. Oh, I totally agree. That's exactly what I teach and what I in my clinical practice for 25 years. I would actually get people to to do that, to dive into that uncomfortable side because that's where the answers are. You know, it's really express yourself. So I, I love what you're saying. Totally on, totally on target. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this episode is made possible by our friends at ButcherBox. My go-to for the Best quality meats and fish. ButcherBox makes it easy to get high quality, humanely raised meat that you can trust. Every month, ButcherBox delivers 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild Alaskan salmon directly to your door. And shipping is free. The incredible quality of ButcherBox meats starts with a commitment to humanely raised animals that are never given antibiotics or added hormones. And by taking out the middleman, ButcherBox is able to buy meat at a lower cost and pass those savings on to you. Choose from four curated boxes or customize your own box so you can get exactly what you and your family love. With my busy schedule, it's hard to make time for grocery shopping or even meal planning. But ButcherBox makes everything so simple and so easy. Last night, I made the most delicious and nutritious meal using the wild Alaskan salmon from ButcherBox. And tonight, I'm excited to try a new recipe using their grass-fed beef. For a limited time, get two pounds of salmon and two filet mignons for free, plus... $20 off your first box when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash cleanup. 
or enter the promo code CLEANUP at checkout. That's $20 off your first box and two pounds of salmon and two filet mignons by going to butcherbox.com forward slash cleanup or enter the promo code CLEANUP at checkout. The link will also be in the show notes. In your opinion, is social media responsible for causing a rise in mental health? I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I want to hear <laughs> you say it, especially amongst teens. So, yeah. Well, it's very tricky right now. We don't know, unfortunately. There's so much conflicting information. Most of the studies mm-hmm. out there have a few problems with them. Number exactly. one, almost none of them are pre-registered studies, meaning they look for results after the fact. Very, mm-hmm. very few. We're talking 1% have pre-registered hypotheses, which is a big problem because mm-hmm. you know you essentially go digging in the data enough and you'll find something. And exactly. that's what we essentially see. I mean, there was this article that ironically went viral in the Atlantic called Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? I read that. Mm-hmm. You, everybody, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas if you look at the data in terms of the study that Gene Twangy cites, there is an effect, but the effect size is so puny. It's something like, you know, 10% of having one night of bad sleep, or mm. it's a fraction of what wearing glasses, even it was a less of an effect size than eating potatoes. Exactly. <laughs> that was actually in the study. And so, exactly. you know, it's, the studies today show that not much is happening, but I would say that, you know, that, that doesn't mean that nothing is happening. I, I do think that there are some clear, potentially dangerous aspects of using any media too much, social media being one of them. I think the the, the rise in mental health symptoms that we're seeing, I don't have great studies to show this yet, but my hunch from everything I've seen to date points to the media is not the cause. It's what the media does to us. It's the opportunity cost, I think, of sleep principally, Mm. and face-to-face relationships secondarily, that I think social media is a wonderful supplement. It's not a replacement. If you think about social media like a vitamin, so Mm -hmm. a vitamin is wonderful for you. You To take a vitamin in a pill form is wonderful as a supplement, right? It's called a Mm -hmm. dietary supplement, meaning most of your food should come from real whole foods. But if you are deficient in an area, well, you can supplement with a vitamin. Great analogy. So the deficiency that many of us have today is distance. That, you know, people are so mobile these days, which is by and large a very good thing. We're happy that we are mobile. Mm -hmm. The problem with mobility is that we disconnect from people. So, you know, I grew up in Orlando. I went to school in Atlanta. I moved to New York. Then I went to grad school in California. Mm. Now I'm back in New York. And my friends are spread all over the world. And Mm. so as a supplement to replace what is deficient, meaning the, the, the miles, the distance, Social media is a wonderful way to supplement my social life by connecting with people that I would have otherwise disconnected from because of the problem of time and place. But it is not a replacement for real-world interaction. I think we do need real-world interaction as well. And then, of course, the first, I think, and more important concept when it comes to children specifically is that you know, any amount of too much media, if it comes at the cost of sleep, is absolutely going to have deleterious effects on our mental health and well-being. Oh, that's such a brilliant answer. You know, I'm doing clinical trials in my work. I've been researching the mind-brain connection for 30 years. And one of the things that we've been looking at, myself and my team, is looking at how to basically mind manage. It's a big part of what I do is teaching mind management. And that's essentially what you're talking about is mind manage the social media, mind manage your social relationships, mind manage as a supplement. You know, it's, it's all decisions that we make. And it's the point you raised in the beginning is we have to be responsible. We've got to stop trying to blame someone outside. So it's right. it's a, bal- a very, very good balanced answer that you've given there in terms of if you just go on social media, but you don't have the personal contact as well, you know, in a balanced way. Right. So that's when you're going to, and the sleep is suffering because you've got, you know, you keep getting to that habit of constantly looking at your phone. These are just very logical answers and it requires mind management. Right. I think we write off some of the amazing things that social media has done for mental health specifically. If you think about the rates of suicide among LGBT youth. Yeah. I remember in my, I mean, I'll tell you a very personal story in my own life. When I was a preteen, this was in 1991, I believe. I was, I guess I was 12 years old or so. My oldest brother, who's 10 years older than me, decided to 
come out of the closet. He was gay mm-hmm. in, in 1991. That was a very mm. different thing to do than in, you know, these days where it was, it was, you know, that was back when, when AIDS was still, you know, we weren't sure how you would catch AIDS. It was called, it was called gay cancer at the time by Terrible. many people. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very different time. And at that time, I really had nowhere to go. Right. There mm-hmm. was no resources. I could go to my guidance counselor, but mm-hmm. you know, she was struggling with this as well. Well, today, you know, people can interact with with like minded groups in a way they never could before. So the fact that that social media can connect disparate groups together who may be struggling, who, who provides them with a community is a wonderful upshot. Of course, it's much less studied <laughs> than yeah. the att- or, or publicized than the attention grabbing headlines. But there is also clearly a, an upside to a lot of this connectivity as well. I love that. That's an absolutely brilliant analogy and an incredibly great personal story to share the importance of how it's actually helped us as as humanity. It's not a bad thing. It's made out to be such a bad thing. You've got access to knowledge, as you say, access to groups, access to helping yourselves much more efficiently and quickly. You know, so that's really, I love that. In your new book, and one I highly recommend everyone, well, they should get both your books. They're fantastic called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life, you reveal the hidden psychology driving us to distraction. And you've been hinting at this so far in the discussion. And you describe why solving the problem is not as simple as just swearing off our devices and and Mm -hmm. abstinence being impractical. I love it. Just pick up on that (laughs) and run with it. Yeah, you know, m- many folks out there today, they, they say that the solution to this distraction problem is to just disconnect. And not only is that, you know, that tends to be espoused by college professors who don't mm. need it for their livelihood, unfortunately. Exactly. <laughs> but when you talk to real people in the real world, exactly. they say, you know, how can I possibly disconnect for 30 days? I'll be yeah. fired from my job. It's just exactly. not practical. And frankly, there's so many benefits to using these tools. Why would I want to? Exactly. So I think in, instead of, of this knee-jerk reaction or what's worse, this, you know, we know that abstinence can so often backfire. You know, the, mm. the, the classic example is the white bear studies where, you know, exactly. if I... If I told all the listeners right now, I'm about to ask you to do something that you have not done all day. I want you to not think about a white bear. I guarantee you, no matter how hard you try, you're thinking about a white bear. Exactly. Exactly. this approach to abstinence, advising people to just stop, is, is so often backfires, not with every type of overuse, every type of distraction. You know, some things, if you can remove yourself from that environment. So, you know, for example, with drug rehabilitation, it can be very useful to remove yourself from the environment completely, in which case mm-hmm. abstinence can be much more palatable. On the other hand, you know, if you think about with it, when it comes to food, for example, or technology, we can't just stop using mm-hmm. these things, we'll starve, we'll get not fired. Realistic. Yeah, it's not it's realistic. realistic. And so what happens is when we tell ourselves not to do something in the face of constant triggering, we it's kind of like a rubber band, right? When you mm. pull on a rubber band, it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. When you tell yourself, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, mm. it gets tighter and tighter until you finally say, fine, and you give in. And that relief of tension, the, the relief of, okay, fine, I'll do it, is actually that relief of discomfort is registered in the brain as pleasure. And so we're doing nothing but reinforcing the very behavior we're trying to get ourselves to not do. And this is at the heart of so many addictions as well as distraction Mm. and proves why strict absence is not a very effective technique. So I advise techniques that come from acceptance and commitment therapy, along with a few other techniques, to give people tools in their arsenal so that when they have these uncomfortable emotional states, when they feel these internal triggers of anxiety, stress, fatigue, loneliness, whatever it might be, we are breaking the habitual cycle of turning to these distractions and replacing them with uh, with actions that lead us towards traction, lead us towards actions we want to do, that lead us towards what we really intend to do with our time and our attention. You made a little rhyme there. I don't know if it was intentional, but the, the, the what is it? The distraction to the action to get traction. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yes. So it's actually it's, we skipped over a little bit, but I should have probably talked about you know what is distraction. You know what what is the nature of distraction? Yeah, do that now. That's great. And you've got that four step research back model. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about that too. Sure, sure. So the best way to understand distraction is to understand what is the opposite of distraction. So the opposite of distraction, many people will tell you it's focus. And I, I don't agree, in fact, that that if you look at the source of the word, that the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Mm. That both come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six-letter word, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction is any action action 
that pulls you towards what you want to do, things that you are doing with intent. The opposite of traction is distraction, anything that pulls you away from what you plan to do, anything that you are not doing with intent. So the reason this dichotomy is so important is that one, anything can become a distraction. So for example, in my life, you know, I wrote this book for me more than anyone else. I was struggling with distraction and I wanted answers and I wanted a solution that actually worked as opposed to more platitudes around, you know, mm-hmm. put away your phone. So in my life, you know, I would sit down at my desk and I would say, okay, now I'm going to work on that big project. I'm finally going to focus. Here I go. I'm going to get to work, but let me check email first. Oh, <laughs> right? uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would argue that that's a much more pernicious distraction because When that happens, we allow distraction to prioritize the urgent at the expense of the important. Mm. That becomes toxic to our well-being. That when we allow whatever it is that we plan to do to go off track because of something else that comes in our way, you know, if, if you are playing a video game at work, you know, if you're playing Candy Crush, that's clearly a distraction. You're clearly not doing what you're supposed to do, but that's very obvious. That's not the distractions I worry about, right? If you're checking Facebook or Candy Crush, that's obvious. Mm-hmm. The more pernicious forms of distractions are the ones that feel like work, but aren't. They're pseudo work. So if you decided you were going to work on that big project, but instead you're checking email, well, email's productive, right? I'm kind of doing my mm. job, aren't I? No, it mm. is just as much of a distraction as playing a video game because it is not what you plan to do with your time. And if you don't break that cycle, you'll constantly be doing all these urgent tasks and you'll never get to the big important tasks. That is so good. That is so good. And, and conversely, by the way, just as anything can be a distraction, I would argue anything can be traction. Mm. That, you know, there's nothing evil or sinister about wanting to relax and watch Netflix or YouTube or Facebook or Instagram. None of these tools are evil. They're not bad. Mm. If you use them according to your values and on your schedule, not on the app makers. So in my schedule, I have time for social media. And I took what was otherwise a distraction and I turned it into traction by planning time for it. So now two, two really nice things happen. One, I am not turning to it whenever I feel bored or lonesome or indecisive. I know I will use that time in my day later on for those tasks. So the second good thing is that I can relieve that tension of thinking, ooh, I wonder what's going on, I wonder what's going on. I will check up on what's going on on my schedule because it is in my calendar. I turn distraction into traction simply by planning for it. Oh, that's secret. You learn, you turn distraction into traction simply by planning for it. Absolutely brilliant. And so simple. Yeah. And and so here's the thing to remember. The time you plan to waste is not wasted time. The time you plan to waste is not wasted time. These are like those little, you know, tweetable things that you're saying. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's not up to me what to tell you to do with your time. If, if exercise is important to you, great. If meditation is important to you, painting, staring at the ceiling and you want to feel bored, that's fine. There's nothing Mm. wrong with any of that. As long as you do it on your schedule, not someone else's, as long as you plan for it, enjoy it without guilt. I think part of the problem today is that so many of us succumb to what I call the tyranny of the to-do list. We have this big, long list of to-dos, and it's hanging over our head all day long. And 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 most of us, at least in my case, I would not finish most of the things on my to-do list. So I would just recycle mm. from one day to the next, to the next, to the next, all these things I had to do. And what I was doing was reinforcing an identity of someone who doesn't fulfill their commitments. Wow, that's amazing. Right? And then, and then you know, self-image is super important. The research shows us that the mm. way talk to ourselves is incredibly important that long-term behavior change necessitates identity change. Mm. So if you look at that to-do list at the end of the day and you still didn't do what you said you're going to do, you're reinforcing, oh, I I do not live with personal integrity. I'm not reliable. I am a loser, basically. Mm. That's what I told myself every day. Well, I don't have that problem anymore because now I don't just use a to-do list. Now I time box my day, which is a a very effective technique. It's thousands of studies. You know, psychologists call it Mm -hmm. making an implementation intention, which is just a fancy way of saying, I'm going to plan out what I'm going to do and when I'm going to do it. And that technique has really changed my life. I I Mm -hmm. call it turning your values into time that by sitting down for just 15 minutes a week, and I'll give you a link for the show notes. I built a tool online that makes this very easy for anyone to do. It's totally You don't have to sign up for anything. All you want to do is basically look at your values in these three life domains I talk about in the book 
and schedule those values in your day. Because what happens for most of us, you know, if you have lots of white space in your day, if you're, if you just have blank time, well, then you can't complain about distraction. Why? Because you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Hmm. So of course you're going to be distracted if you didn't plan anything. Everything is a distraction. So the antidote there is to plan out the day if you're, you know, depending on your values, if spending time with your family or your friends is important, do you have those regular occurrences booked? If doing focused work at work is important to you, are you holding that time and protecting it? If physical activity is important to you, when is that time scheduled in your day? These kind of things, they won't just happen. They have to be planned for or we'll get distracted by one thing or another. A healthy gut is key to a healthy mind, brain, and body. While we can get some probiotics from food, a good probiotic supplement is so necessary. I'm excited to tell you about a single strain proteolytic probiotic called P3OM. P3OM uses a patented natural process to upgrade a well-researched probiotic strain, making this the Navy SEAL of probiotics. Try P3OM risk-free today. They have the best guarantee I've seen in the industry. It's a 365-day full money-back guarantee. Just go to p3om.com forward slash leaf and enter the coupon code DRLEAF10 to receive your 10% discount. That's p 3 the letter omcom slash leaf and enter Dr. Leaf 10 to get 10% off any order. The link will also be in the show notes. This is brilliant. Is this the four-step model? Is this related to the four-step model that you talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So we're kind of skipping ahead here and there. But step one, you know, one thing we didn't get to is why do our actions lead us towards traction? So the answer to why do are we led to traction or distraction is because of triggers. And there are two types mm-hmm. of triggers. We have what's called external triggers, these things in our environment, like the pings, the dings and rings and things that prompt Mm -hmm. us to attraction or distraction. And then we have the internal triggers, which we talked about a little bit earlier, the uncomfortable emotional states that can lead us towards traction or distraction. So now we have our four points of the compass. So you can think about in your mind a horizontal line, one arrow pointing to the right, that's traction, to the left is distraction. And then we have a bisecting vertical line, two arrows pointing to the center of that horizontal line. These are our external and internal triggers that will lead us towards traction or distraction. So now we can go around clockwise to the four points of this compass. So the first step is to master the internal triggers, which is where I talk about how do we learn these good habits around dealing with our discomfort in a healthier manner that leads us towards traction. So that's step one. Mm -hmm. Step two is about making time for traction. This is where we turn our values into time through time boxing, through also using this technique I call schedule syncing, which is about after we make this time box calendar, we share this with the important stakeholders in our life, like our significant other, like our boss. It will change your life. This simple practice Mm. of just showing your schedule to other people in your life, like your boss, you won't believe how much this will change your life. It certainly has changed mine. I've been married now for 18 years, and my wife and I would always get into these fights around domestic responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And if I'm totally honest, she took on way more than she should have. And the reason she kept taking on more than she should have is that I always said, well, just tell me what to do. What's the problem? Just tell me what to do, honey, if I don't, you know, if I forget Mm -hmm. to do the laundry or take out the trash. What I didn't realize is that I was asking her to take on yet another job, which is to be my babysitter. Oh, wow. (laughs) And and that doesn't happen anymore. I'm proud to say that doesn't happen in our life anymore because now we know exactly when each of us will do what we said we are going to do. It's on my calendar. And that simple technique Mm -hmm. has just really improved our marriage tremendously. Mm -hmm. And then the third step is to hack back the external triggers. So we mentioned earlier that clearly these companies, many, many companies out there, many people in your life want to hack your attention. So hack, I use the term hack in the same way that you would use a computer hacker, that Mm -hmm. computer hacker gains unauthorized access to something. Clearly, that is their motive. They want to gain unauthorized access to your attention, but that doesn't mean we can't hack back. 
And so I show you these techniques that I use to hack back your phone, hack back your computer, hack back email, hack back the open floor plan office. It turns out the number one source of distraction in the modern workplace, according to 80% of survey respondents, is other people. Mm, That makes sense. It's other people tapping you on the shoulder, wanting to gossip, wanting to spend your time in ways that you didn't intend. So I show you how to hack back all those environments. That's step number three. Can you give an example, sorry, of, of that one just very quickly? That's brilliant. Sure. So which one is most interesting to you? They they all are, but maybe try the email because that's that just popped in my head. So let's sure. Yeah, so email, actually, in in surveys, email tends to be the number one most distracting technology. Mm -hmm. When people talk about general distraction, the number one is other people. The most distracting technology, however, is email. So uh, let me give you a a great technique that I use. There's many techniques I talk about in the book, but one of the most effective for email management is to understand that there's a math behind email, that if you want to spend less time on email every day, The time you spent on email, let's call that capital T, is a function of the number of messages you get, that's little n, times the time you spend per message. So big T equals little n times little t, so TNT. I like that Mm -hmm. acronym because it reminds me how email can blow up. Blow up, I love it. Yeah, I love it. So the idea here is that you can tackle this math equation, and I show you systematically how to do that. One of the ways that we can reduce the amount of time we spend on email per day, per given unit of time, is to realize that if you want to receive fewer emails per day, you have to send fewer emails per day. It sounds like common sense, but very few people abide by this lesson because they don't know how to manage their email in a way that doesn't require them constantly sending, sending, sending this ping pong game that we play to people with people in our email inbox. They don't realize that every time you send an email, it might feel good that you've sent that email out of your inbox, but of course, the more emails you send, the more you are going to receive in a given period of time. So most people just tick off you know, the first email in their inbox, the second email in their inbox, the third email in their inbox. That's very inefficient. Instead, what we wanna do is to focus on answering one question every time we open an email because studies find that where we waste the most time on email is not the checking, it's not the replying, it's the rechecking. It's opening the email, forgetting what's in it, closing it, opening it again, forgetting what's in it, closing it, opening it again. That turns out to be the biggest waste of time. So what we wanna do is every email we only touch twice. The first time we open an email, we have to label it by answering one question. The most important question you have to answer is, when does this email need a reply? Okay, that's the most important question. And then label that email in one of two categories. If it's urgent and needs to be replied to today, label that email today. If it can wait within some time within one week's time, label it as this week. Then what you're going to do is you're going to, you remember that step two where Mm -hmm. we we made time for traction, you're going to have time in your day to return only the urgent emails, okay? Mm. That's gonna be about 20% of the emails you get are actually urgent on average. So you're only gonna return those emails. 20%, you said. 20%, mm-hmm. exactly. Then you say, well, well, why am I saving time, right? I'm just, you're just delaying the inevitable, right? Well, not exactly. Here's where the magic happens. Then you're gonna schedule time in your week for a long stretch of time when you're going to flush through the rest of your emails. I do this on Mondays. I call this Message Mondays, where I have Mm -hmm. a three-hour block. And here's where the magic happens. When you let emails rest, when you give them some time to simmer, those non-urgent messages, you will find that about 50% of your emails, turns out, do not need a reply. (laughs) People figured out their own issues. The thing that was urgent then is no longer urgent. It got crushed under the weight of some other priority. If you give people some time to wait, and only reply to the emails that actually truly need a reply today as opposed to the ones that you reply to just to make it feel like you're making progress on something, right back to those internal triggers of the feeling of making progress as opposed to actual progress. If you let those non-urgent emails simmer, 50% of them will actually magically disappear and won't need a response at all. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. I love that. I mean, there's other techniques as well that I talk about in the book, but that's that's a quick hit you can use is to oh, lay on urgency. That's fantastic. Well, people, you can get that in the book as well. That's just fantastic. Okay, number four. 
final technique is about preventing distraction with pacts. And pacts are a form of pre-commitment. It uses what's called a pre-commitment device to make a promise to ourselves or to somebody else to make sure that we do what we say we're going to do. So there's a few type of pacts. We have what's called an effort pact, which is where we have some kind of friction involved in doing something we don't want to do. We have a price pact, which inflicts some kind of monetary disincentive to do to doing something we don't want to do. And then finally, we have an identity pact, which is where we use a moniker or a noun, some kind of personal identity to help keep us on track. So my favorite of the three, there's, I know we're running short on time, so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll describe my favorite of the three, mm-hmm. which is the identity pact. And the identity pact It takes from research from the psychology of religion. And Mm -hmm. we know from the psychology of religion that when people have some kind of moniker, some kind of identity that they call themselves, they become Mm -hmm. more likely to do what they say they're going to do. So, for example, a devout Muslim, an observant Christian, even a vegetarian, uh, for that Mm -hmm. matter. You know, a vegetarian doesn't wake up in the morning and say, hmm, I wonder if I should have some bacon for breakfast, right? (laughs) Yeah, not at all. That's something they do not do right? Because a vegetarian does not eat meat. It is who Mm -hmm. they are. And so when we offload some of our need for willpower and self-control, I'm not a fan of willpower and self-control. I'm a fan of systems. And this is a way that we can systematize our decisions by having a moniker of identity. And of course, this is why I call the book Indistractable. And the reason I'll back up, I'll take you back to the 1980s, another personal story from my life. You know, I remember in the early 80s, I remember when people came over to our home, we had ashtrays in our living room. And this is going to sound crazy for people who are born after 1985. Nobody, mm-hmm. they're, they're not going to understand this, but those of us born before 1985, yeah. remember these. I remember them. <laughs> every home had an ashtray, but my parents didn't smoke. It didn't matter because when people came to your home back then, they just expected to be able to smoke in your living room. Well, today, of course, if somebody came to your home and lit up a cigarette without asking, that that would be incredibly rude. Well, what changed? Was it a law that changed? No, there's never been a law that says you can't smoke in someone's private residence. Mm -hmm. What changed was our norms, our manners, and Mm. our identity. So I remember one day, my mom got sick of it. She wasn't a smoker. She never liked the smell of smoke. And she decided to take out the ashtrays from our home. She threw them away. And someone came over and just expected to light up a cigarette. They took out their pack of cigarettes and and lit a cigarette. And she said, oh, I'm sorry. We are non-smokers. If you'd like to smoke, please go outside. And this person was so offended, right? Oh, my gosh, you're going to ask me to smoke outside? Of course, today, this is commonplace. Everyone, you know, no one would dream smoking in in your living room without asking. And so that's what's required. When it comes to our technology distractions, we need people to stand up and say, I am indistractable. I control how I spend my attention. I control how I spend my time. I control how I live my life. I don't let others control it for me. I am indistractable. And so this is how we begin to spread these social antibodies, these new norms of living that help us live better lives. And we've done it with smoking. We can absolutely do it with our technology distractions as well. And it takes us as individuals having this kind of moniker to keep us on track and to set an example for others. That's absolutely brilliant. And and as you say, we are running out of time, but I want to quickly ask you, how do we raise indistractable children in an increasingly distracting world? In the new year, a lot of people are focused on healthy diets and exercise, but there is an important missing element for many, natural light. Red light has been shown to be especially effective in helping improve sleep quality, skin rejuvenation, rapid wound healing, improving cognitive function, and reducing joint pain and inflammation. My go-to red light therapy device is Juve because their devices were designed based on extensive research. They come in various different shapes and prices so you can get one that best fits your budget and your needs. And it really works. I've been using my Juve device for a few months now and I absolutely love it. I like to use it right after my sauna to help relax my mind and body. And I have definitely noticed an improvement in my sleep quality since using this device. And right now, Juve has a special promotion just for my listeners. Get a unique gift with your purchase with the code DrLeaf at checkout. Just go to juve.com forward slash DrLeaf and use the code DrLeaf. That's J-O-O 
www.vv.com slash Dr. Leaf. The link will also be in the show notes. Pretty much you've outlined all the principles, but maybe you can just give a small synopsis for children. This is, I think, the most important chapter of, of the book in, in my mind, because for those of us who have kids, it's, it's very confusing these days mm. what we do how to raise children in a way that, one, doesn't raise technophobic children, right? We know mm. that technology is going to be critical for the, the, the high paying jobs of the future. We want our kids to be tech literate. And yet, you know, we see that the technology is very vilified today. And we, you know, it's pretty obvious when you see your kid seemingly hooked to a device, it's difficult to not blame the device. I would argue that there's much more going on than, than meets the eye. That What's really happening is what's called the needs displacement hypothesis. This isn't something I made up. This is Jesse and Ryan. They're the founders of self-determination theory, the most widely accepted theory of human motivation and flourishing. And Desi and Ryan say that all human beings need three things for psychological flourishing. They need a sense of competency, autonomy, and relatedness. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that when you look at kids' lives today, they are deficient in those three psychological nutrients. And what do they do when they're deficient in those nutrients? They go looking for them online when they can't find enough of them offline. So let's take them one at a time. When you think about competency, one thing that has gone up in conjunction with the rise of cell phones around 2007, 2008 is the rise of standardized testing, at least in, in America, mm. you know, teaching towards the test, no child left behind, teachers mm-hmm. pay dependent on test performance. Kids today in this country are tested starting in kindergarten multiple times per year. Mm -hmm. And so we have a subset of children who are told repeatedly throughout their year that they are not competent. And so what do you do if you don't feel competent in the offline world and a company online offers you a product like Minecraft, Fortnite, Mm -hmm. you feel competent, you feel like a god, and so that feels good. And so Mm -hmm. it's no wonder turn to those solutions. Now think about, let's think about autonomy. The work of Peter Gray shows us this is the most regulated generation in history. The studies find that children today have 10 times as many regulations placed on them as the average adult, twice as many rules and restrictions as an incarcerated felon. Mm, It's crazy. there are only two places in society where we can tell people what, where to go, what to think, what to eat, how to dress, who to be friends with, and that's school and prison. Wow. Is it any shock to us that when we hyper-regulate our children, when they come home, they want freedom, for God's sakes. They want autonomy. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. When we were kids, we would go play in the neighborhood. We would go outside. We would hang out. We would do something. Mm-hmm. Whereas kids today, they are so either hyper-scheduled because, you know, if you're affluent, your kid's in Kumon, and mm. then they're in swimming lessons and Mandarin lessons, and they're so hyper-scheduled where they have so much supervision all day long being told what to do. Or if your family doesn't have money, your child is likely behind door and key because parents have been so scared by big media into thinking that this is, you know, a dangerous time, that, you know, kidnappings and and stranger danger. And of course, nothing could be further from the truth. This is the safest time in American history to be a child. Children have never been safer. And yet parents keep their kids behind doors. So what else are they going to do? Well, they're going to go online to get that sense of autonomy, mm-hmm. the freedom. So when you when you have a game online, you can get that sense of autonomy that you're missing offline. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, is relatedness. So we all know that we need this sense of relatedness to be understood by others and to have others understand us. And in past generations, children had plenty of time for this. Today, unfortunately, we are at a 50-year low since these statistics have been collected. We are at a record low of time that children have for what's called free play. Mm, It's terrible. Mm. Is time with your peers, without the supervision of coaches and teachers and parents, just time to be a kid. And this is the most important thing you can give your child for their psychological well-being It's not the math, it's not the test prep, it's not the Mandarin lessons, it's time for play. And children today don't have that time. And I think this is a big part why we are seeing such a fragile generation, because play is where we learn our place in the world. It's one thing if a parent says, you know, don't behave that way. It's a whole nother story when a friend tells you, if you act like a jerk, I'm not going to play with you. 
right? That's where we learn how to behave. That's where we learn how to take care of others and have them take care of us is by interacting with our peers. But we don't give kids that time anymore. So where do they go to find relatedness? Facebook gives it to them. Instagram gives it to them. TikTok gives it to them. Fortnite gives it to them. That's where they are looking to replace their deficiency in these three psychological nutrients. Oh, that's so brilliantly said. You know, when I was practicing as a clinician as well, I used to give my patients a prescription, my parents of my patients, and say, number one on the prescription pad is go and play. Let your children play outside. So I love what you've said. We need a whole podcast just on what you've discussed now. It's so brilliant. <laughs> I've really enjoyed this with you, and I know that there's a time constraint, but where can people find out more about you your work, your books. And we'll put this all in the show notes too. Thank you so much. Yeah, my blog is at nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name. So that's N-I-R, N-I-R and far.com. And if you go to nearandfar.com, there's actually an 80-page workbook there that's available. It's complimentary. You don't have to buy the book to get it. If you do end up getting the book Indistractable, make sure you keep your order number, whether that's on Amazon or at your local bookseller, keep that order number Go to indistractable.com. That's I-N, the word distract, A-B-L-E, indistractable.com. If you enter in your order number, I'll give you access to a video course as well as all kinds of resources and tools that you can use. All that's available at indistractable.com. That's incredible. Thank you so much. That's really generous. And, and I know everyone's going to love that. So thank you so much. And thank you for your time. And I hope that you'll come back on my show again, because I have learned so much from you. I love the way you've explained incredibly important concepts. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate you letting me come on your show. Oh, no, thank you. It's been amazing. And it's just a great different perspective and a healthy perspective on technology. So thank you so much, Nia, and for your great work that you're doing. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.